I said to Chad, uh, who is not with us, I said, the sign of a true leader is how things go when you're not here. And so I think Chad's a great leader because uh, uh, they did a great job leading us. So I'm going to be in uh, uh, speeded up mode here, just so you know, because we're, you know, I may have to, we may only have two points today. I'm trying to figure that out in my head. So after my wife and I, my wife and I finished seminary, uh, we applied and were accepted to a mission agency called Overseas Missionary Fellowship. Once accepted, we began to raise our, as Amy's doing, has been doing, raising your prayer and your financial support, and, and I would say underline that, that prayer support. In my mind, if you're truly praying some, for someone, you'll, you'll also be giving a little bit too, but anyway. Uh, so we were in the process of raising this prayer and financial support to head to Japan, the nation of Japan. Uh, we felt, and in consultation with our leaders, felt that this would probably take us about a year. But well after a year of waiting, the financial support... Uh, was still not very good, and we were pretty discouraged about the whole thing. So much so, we began to question, not, not necessarily question God, I didn't say, God, are you really there, but we began to question God's call on our lives, we began to question whether we should be missionaries or not. It was a difficult time, it was a difficult time of, of waiting. And today, maybe you're experiencing a, a similar period, something similar in your life, a period of waiting, maybe you're waiting for God to make something clear about a relationship in your life. Maybe you're waiting for an open door to a a new job, a new opportunity. Maybe you're waiting to be led into a a new area of ministry. Or maybe you're just waiting for direction. Maybe you're waiting to know His will in this situation or that situation. And maybe you feel like you've, you've waited long enough. You're getting discouraged. Waiting doesn't seem to be such a great experience, but the Bible, the Bible makes it clear that waiting on the Lord is for our good. Waiting on the Lord is for our good. The book of Psalms is full of a number of promises to those who wait on the Lord, but probably the most famous promise in all of Scripture about waiting is found in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings Like eagles, they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And this has nothing to do with the Philadelphia Eagles, Mark Easter, our resident Philadelphian. The promise is to those who wait on the Lord. It's for renewed strength. The picture is having wings like eagles soaring above it all, not growing weary of a marathon runner who just can keep running and running of a Someone that takes a walk and goes on forever, continuously. There's clearly something to this idea of gaining strength by waiting on the Lord, of trusting in Him, of knowing that if we're patient, then He always comes through. Knowing that He'll give us the strength, the ability, the power necessary to accomplish anything He calls us to do. Christine and I once... We got over the discouragement once we understood Isaiah 40, 31. We were able to look back and clearly see this time of waiting as a time of preparation for the Lord, a time of strengthening and renewing. During this time, I was able to to 
for the first time, become, uh, join the staff of, of this church, gain a lot of necessary ministry experiences. It was also this, during this time that the Lord changed our direction. We were headed for Japan, and he redirected us to Thailand, which I thank him for. It was a much better fit for us. It was the place we were meant to be. And most importantly, during that time of waiting, we grew in our relationship with the Lord. We grew in our relationship with one another as a married couple, and we grew in our relationship with the Lord. We learned a ton of invaluable lessons about what it really means to trust in Him. Lessons that we would need on the mission field. Lessons that we continue to need today. And today, as we look at Acts chapter 1, verses 12 to I'm not sure where, as we see what the apostles did during a time of waiting on the Lord, we too have the opportunities for some very practical lessons. I think some really important things and some things that have been illustrated to us this morning with both Amy's message to us, both Amy's uh, talking about her time of waiting and what that's meant and uh, from Jim and, and Brian as they shared. So, so far, let's quick review. So far in the first 11 verses of uh, Acts chapter 1, we've seen uh, Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, engaging with his disciples. He's preparing them for a mission. Last week we looked at that mission. Be my witnesses, he said, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Spread the good news through your works, through your words. Begin in Jerusalem and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And don't forget, Jesus had also given him a promise. That promise was the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the power to accomplish their mission. The Spirit would come and, and they would be filled, baptized with the Spirit. And after Jesus gives the mission and the promise, he leaves. He ascends into heaven. So Jesus is, is physically gone. The disciples must then wait for this promise, baptism with the Spirit. And that brings us to our passage for today. What we have is a description, at least in part, of that waiting time. The time between Jesus giving the mission and the baptism of the Spirit. Now Luke doesn't tell us the exact time how long it actually was, how long they waited. But we know it's somewhere between seven and ten days. Not a, not a huge amount, but a, but amount. It's over a week. How do we know that? Well, I would tell you, but I don't have time. But you can do the math. It's kind of like Jesus appeared for 40 days, Pentecost was the 50th day, 10 minus 50. Yeah, you got it, you got it, okay. Maybe in another sermon someday. And what we have in those seven to ten days is a great picture of waiting on the Lord. In fact, there are three lessons I'd like us to learn from the disciples. Now, these three lessons are, are, aren't limited to times of waiting. They're applicable in all of our Christian life, in, every, in our everyday Christian life. But I believe they gain this extra significance during these, these times of waiting. They can help us to wait on the Lord. And the first lesson we learn is that during times of waiting, we need to pull together. Pull together. Verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. So Jesus had ascended there. He had spoke to them there. And now they're returning to Jerusalem. Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem where their mission would begin. 
And so in obedience to the Lord, that's what they do. They head for Jerusalem. Verse 13 says, And when they had entered, they went to the upper room where they were staying. The disciples head to the upper room. This is probably the same upper room where they shared the Passover meal, the last supper with Jesus. Verse 13 continues, and Luke then gives us the list of the 11 remaining disciples. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. One disciple's missing. Judas Iscariot was no longer among them. We'll hear about his fate. Maybe next week. My, my notes say in a, in a moment, but maybe next week. But the rest were there together. So Judas isn't with them, but the rest are there together. Then we read in verse 14, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. All these, the eleven disciples, along with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers, they all came together. They pulled together. They weren't scattering into different directions. They remained together. And there were others that joined them. Verse 15 says that the company is about 120 people total. And notice verse 14 says something key about this group of 120 people. Luke writes that they were with one accord. They were with one accord. That phrase, one accord, is, is from a Greek word that means unimate. Un- Unanimous? That's not it. Unanimous. Unity. It was interesting that Brian shared that that had been the thing he had been looking at in Scripture. They were not just together in location in this upper room. They were together in heart and in soul, waiting for the baptism of the Spirit. I want us really to grab hold of this picture of these 120 in this apparently fairly large upper room. Grab hold of them. They're they're waiting. They're unified. They're pulling together to wait on the Lord, waiting to begin the mission that He's given them. In many ways, this is really what we want to be. As we saw last week, the mission that these disciples were given by Jesus Christ, the mission to be witnesses to the ends of the earth, the mission to make disciples of all nations, It's our mission as well. The mission continues on. And the mission is is not for us to accomplish as individuals. The mission is a, a team effort. So as we seek the Lord for His direction, as we wait on Him to lead and guide us, as we wait to receive more and more that filling of the Spirit to accomplish His mission, we need to pull together. Whether we're in a time of waiting or a time of witnessing, we need to be a united group of people dedicated to His mission. We need to come together often to support one another in our mission here in Riverside and to support those who've gone out from us to the mission field. We've been given, uh, I think, an amazing example this morning. An amazing example, an amazing opportunity. Amy shared with us this morning her plans to be heading to Afghanistan. And I believe we were all touched with, with the, the mission, the ministry that she'll be involved with. She's been, I think you, you would testify, you've had a lot of waiting time though, haven't you, Amy? And God has done amazing things in that waiting time. And we as a church are at that time of waiting alongside her. 
We need to pull together around Amy as she goes forth. We need to partner with her. She mentioned that word partnership. Partner with her in taking the gospel to Afghanistan. She, she mentioned one uh, application. She's going to be praying and fasting on Fridays when the, the, the bulk of the community, you would say, is in this one place. She's going to be praying for them, praying that they would come to know the true Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Are we willing to do that alongside her? We need to be in one accord with Amy. We need to be in one accord with our other missionaries. We've sent them out and must continue to partner with them in their ministries. Yes, they're on the front lines, but we're here to provide the necessary support for their mission, prayer support, financial support, and other kinds of support. Being friends and encouraging them. This doesn't just apply to foreign missionaries. I think it it has extra significance there. But it also applies to each one of us as we seek to be Jesus' witnesses here, in our homes, among our co-workers, with our families and friends and others we encounter in our world. We need to understand that we're not alone in mission. That we're part of a church that's unified under Jesus Christ. And we want every person to be encouraged and empowered and equipped. We want to pull together around one another and together be his witnesses. So while the disciples were waiting, they pulled together. They pulled together in anticipation of what the Lord would do in and through them. And they also pulled together for the most important thing they could do. Nothing we, something we must do at all times. But really in these times of waiting, it's, it's our lifeline to the Lord. Notice that verse 14 says that while they were waiting, with one accord, they were devoting themselves to prayer. They were devoting themselves to prayer. That's our second point for this morning, our, our second lesson while we're waiting. They pulled together for the purpose of prayer. While they were waiting, they prayed earnestly. This is, I believe, at the heart and really the purpose of waiting. When God has you in a time of, time of waiting, it's always a time of prayer. A time to acknowledge and reflect on our dependence on Him. You realize that's what prayer has to recognize. Why do we go to God in prayer? Because we can't accomplish anything without Him. That we're totally, completely dependent upon Him. It's a time to seek Him out, to seek His will, His direction. Spend time in His presence. Allowing Him to minister to you. Allowing Him to transform you and mold you. We are never passive waiters because we always have the action of prayer, no matter what. The disciples pulled together and devoted themselves to prayer. That word devoted is is a really strong word. It means er, to be earnest towards something, to persevere, to not give up, to be constantly and continually diligent. Picture them together, close to 120 in this upper room, in constant, diligent prayer, waiting for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they, in one accord, all of them, devoted themselves to the prayer, to prayer. Now let me ask, what do, you, what do you imagine, what do you think about, what do you think they were praying about? The text doesn't say. It doesn't give us their prayer list. 
but I think we can have a, a pretty good idea. Jesus had told them to wait for what? For the baptism of the Holy Spirit. To wait for the power to accomplish the mission he'd given them. He told them that it was the baptism of the Spirit that would empower them to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. So I, so I don't think it's too much to assume that they were praying earnestly for this baptism of the Spirit, for the filling of the Spirit. And that, my friends, brothers and sisters, needs to be our constant prayer, our constant anticipation, our constant hope. As we wait for the Father to give us opportunities, as we seek opportunities to be His witnesses, our earnest and devoted prayer should be that we would be filled with the Spirit. That we would not rely on our own wisdom, our own ability, our own attractiveness, but on God's power alone. Paul said as much. Paul, the great apostle. Paul, the writer of much of our New Testament he said in 1 Corinthians 2, 4, And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. It was the power of the Spirit working in and through him that he was able to be what God had called him to be. As we wait on the Lord, we must be praying for the Lord to fill us with this power, for what he's bringing our way. And I just want to give a, an exhortation, if I, if I might. A correction, if I can. Our prayers need to be much more focused on our mission. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be praying for other things in our life, for sick relatives, for family and work and financial difficulties. By all means, pray for those things. Pray for one another about all of these things. Pray for all things, the Word says. But in doing so, don't neglect praying for your mission for our mission, for the mission that Christ has given His church. Don't neglect praying for our missionaries. Don't neglect praying for those you encounter in your world who need Jesus Christ. Don't neglect praying for for bridges as we seek to equip world changers. Don't neglect praying for yourself and others that we would be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses. That needs to be at the top of our, our prayer lists. We need to devote ourselves to earnestly praying that God would, through His church, in the power of the Spirit, fulfill His mission that the gospel would go to all peoples. Let me say that one more time. Is Gloria here? We can write. Oh, sorry. We need to devote ourselves to earnestly praying that God would, through His church, in the power of the Holy Spirit, fulfill His mission that the gospel would go to all peoples needs to be, I'm not uh, suggesting it. Well, I guess I am. I'm asking that that be at the top of our prayer lists. Prayer lists can go on from there, but that needs to be at the top. Because until we take prayer seriously, we'll never have an impact in our community or in the world. It's just a fact. But if we do take prayer seriously, our impact will be immeasurable. History provides us with some great examples of what earnest prayer accomplished in the world. One example, I love this example. It's the example of the Moravians. Maybe some of you are familiar with them. In 1722, Count Nicholas 
Ludwig von Zinzendorf. Gotta love that name. Nicholas Ludwig, and I'm saying it with a little German accent. No, I'm not. Von Zinzendorf, he was troubled by the suffering of Christian exiles from Bohemia and Moravia. He allowed them to establish a community on his estate. He was a rich guy. He had a big estate in Germany. The sinner became known as Herrenhut, meaning under the Lord's watch. It grew quickly, and so did its appreciation for the power of prayer. It was established in 1722. In 1727, 24 men and 24 women covenanted to spend an hour each day in scheduled prayer, praying in sequence around the clock. Soon, many others joined them in this prayer chain. Days passed, then months. Unceasing prayer rose to God 24 hours a day as someone, at least one, was engaged in intercessory prayer every hour of every day. A decade passed. The prayer chain continued nonstop. Then another decade. It was a prayer meeting that lasted over 100 years. And it wasn't just a prayer meeting. Stuff happened out of it. Maybe you've heard of the Moravians in terms of their, of their missions. This prayer meeting played a crucial role in the birth of, of Protestant missions. Out of their time of waiting and prayer came times of sending forth missionaries. Six months into this 100-year prayer meeting, Count Zinzendorf suggested the possibility of attempting to reach out for Christ in the West Indies, into Greenland, into Turkey, and to Lapland. Twenty-six Moravians stepped forward the next day to volunteer. The first missionaries reached the West Indies in December of 1732. During the first two years, 22 missionaries perished. They died. And two more were imprisoned, but others took their place. It didn't discourage them. In all, 70 Moravian Moravian missionaries flowed from the six. There were 600 of them. And out of the 670 went forth as missionaries. That prayer meeting that lasted 100 years, but the results were eternal. The the Moravians illustrate how earnest prayer results in engaging in mission. We need to earnestly pray that God will empower us to engage in our mission, being witnesses right here and to the ends of the earth. Sorry, don't have a watch. Checking the time. All right. So we've seen that those first disciples, as they waited for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as they waited for the power to accomplish their mission, they did two things, two important things, two things that we need to do. And I'm going to stop here, by the way. I'm not going to go to the third point. I'll give it to you, and then I'll decide this week if I'm going to back up to it or not. But uh, they did two things. They pulled together as a group. They understood that that they were a unified group under Christ. And then they prayed earnestly. That's what they did in this time of waiting. And then what we're going to see in the book of Acts, maybe next week, when the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes out of this time of prayer and waiting, and then then them going forth into the world and having a a world-changing impact. The final thing that I was going to talk about this morning, and maybe will next week, is that they also trusted God's purposes. They trusted 
in God's purposes. And we'll see that in their dealing with the situation with Judas. That's verses 15 to 26. Judas had, it's like, uh, apparently they were saying, what, what's up with that? Why did that happen? This guy, Jesus picked him out. Jesus chose him and he betrays him. What, did God know what he was doing? And Peter deals with that. And he basically says, you can trust. You can trust God and we can trust God. So that's a summary of point three. But what I want to do this morning, and as we close, as I close this message, is I want to do something a little different. I want us to emulate those early disciples, okay? I'm going to open us in prayer, and then what I want to do is invite anyone who would like to stand. And Remember, what were they? They pulled together. They pulled together, and they devoted themselves to prayer. We're only going to take five minutes. We're not too devoted because we're hungry. But we're going to pray. We're going to pray together. And I would encourage us to pray along these lines. And I would encourage this to flow into our home groups this week. Maybe spend some extra time praying in, along these lines as we pull together in smaller groups. Pray that we'll be empowered for our mission, for His mission, the mission He assigned to us. Pray that we will be filled with His Spirit. Pray that we'll trust in God's purposes for us. Pray that we will be witnesses both here where we are and that we'll be the kind of people that are willing to sacrifice, to send forth ourselves and others to the ends of the earth. So I'm going to pray and then I'm going to open it up and just anyone who'd like to stand and pray, stand and pray as loud as you can. Well, don't have to scream, but just so others can, can hear you. We pray together as we unite together, as we pull together as the body of Christ. Pray that we've been empowered for mission. Father God, we come into your presence and and we thank you for this day. We thank you for the example that Amy brought. We thank you uh, of someone going out from us. We thank you of the example that Brian and Jim brought of, of ministry among us. We thank that you, thank you that you allow us to pull together. I pray that we would be more unified as a church, we'd be so unified, and and Lord, that we'd be devoted to prayer, Father. We'd be praying for one another in many areas, Father, but I pray specifically that we would be praying for one another, that we would uh, be able to accomplish the mission you've given us, Father. I I just want to open it up now to any who would like to to pray for our church, for, for our empowerment to be used by God for the accomplishment of his mission.